Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. I have a topic for today, and to get into that matter, I want to look at Luke chapter 14. My mind is a little confused today, so pray that I would have some clarity of thought. I want to read two verses from Luke chapter 14, the last two verses of this chapter. And I want to try to extract something out of this that we have taught from this pulpit many times, but I see in a very condensed form just in these two verses. And it's really central to the Christian faith. It's central to your walk of discipleship. Verse 34 says, Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, contained within those two verses is a lot about the topic of faith. Elder Phelan years ago preached a sermon that talks about the way the Bible speaks about faith kind of in three different categories. And those were academic faith, vital faith, and faith in action or active faith. And that's a very helpful matrix that you can, uh, three categories that when you encounter the word faith in the Bible, you can sort of place it into its appropriate slot. And we'll talk a little bit about each of those aspects of faith in this sermon today. But I want to point out in this verse, you actually see all three of them. Now, you don't see the word faith here. Every instance of the Bible talking about faith does not invoke the word faith, right? But it's there nonetheless. Now, let me quickly give you the definitions of those three. So, academic faith is really what you might call the faith, right? When you see in Jude 1.3, or the third verse in Jude, you find this statement made. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That is the faith. That's what Elder Faith refers to as academic faith. That is the corpus or body of knowledge that has been transmitted to us through revelation, special revelation. The faith, the body of beliefs, right, contained in the Bible, this is it. And it was delivered once to the saints. We have this body of truth. So sometimes when the Bible is talking about faith, it's talking about the body of truth the proper doctrines of the church. That's the faith, or what we might call academic faith, right? This other type, vital faith, that's different. Vital faith is the spiritual capacity imparted in regeneration as a fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit, whereby you are able to receive and profit from academic faith, right? So think of it like this. Academic faith is like a book, and vital faith is like having a mind, right? The mind is that whereby you are able to benefit from academic faith. 
You didn't do anything to get your mind. It was just given to you. It's a capacity you have. And you have the ability then with that mind to take a book and learn something from it and profit from it. It's the same way with your vital faith. The Bible refers to that vital faith a lot of times as a capacity that it will make a parallel between your hearing or your sight. That's a parallel it's making in a natural sense so that you can understand what faith is. Your eyes give you the ability to see the light that is being bounced around this room and, and put together images and whatnot. That's what your eyes do in the natural world. Your ears allow you to hear the vibrations that are going on in the air and understand something that's being transmitted there. That's what the ear does in the natural realm. Faith is like the eye or the ear of spiritual truth. It is that capacity given to God's people in regeneration that allows them to hear a spiritual message and receive it and say, that is the truth. Now, if you don't have faith, you do not have the ability to receive a spiritual message any more than a man who does not have physical eyes can see the world that is around him. Or a man that doesn't have ears or a tympanic membrane or his eardrum or those sorts of things, they can't hear anything. So it's important to recognize faith is said to be the gift of God. And the Bible also says all men have not faith. So there are literally, in a spiritual sense, there are literally people walking around this world who are as blind as a bat when it comes to spiritual matters. They literally cannot see them. You could set it before them in the form of the Bible all day long, and they cannot see it. They are natural men. They cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. What's more, it's not just that they're neutral and can't receive it. They think it's foolishness. They're hostile towards it. Amen. Now, that's an important thing to recognize about vital faith. It is something that is given to you by God. You didn't do anything to acquire it any more than you did something to acquire the natural mental faculties that you have. They were given to you. So that's vital faith. We talked a little bit about academic faith. Vital faith now is that capacity you have to be able to receive and profit from spiritual truth. And all of God's people have at some point in their life, I don't know for how long, at some point in their life they have vital faith. They have the capacity of faith because that is given to them in regeneration. If they have the indwelling Holy Spirit, they have it as a fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, how long they have faith over the course of their life? I believe the Bible teaches there are people regenerate from the womb. And those people had faith from that day forward. I believe there are people regenerated at the very end of their life. They maybe only had faith for a few days, hours, or minutes. But if they had the indwelling Holy Spirit via regeneration, they had faith. Why do I make that point? I make it because the old Baptists are often vilified by saying, well, you believe and people are saved without faith. We do not believe that. All regenerate people have the capacity of faith. But the faith of God's people does not always encounter the truth. And it doesn't always embrace the truth when it is encountered. So that's an important thing to recognize. 
If you look at the Bible, for example, we know by Hebrews 11 that all those Old Testament saints were saved, right? They were eternally saved. I don't think there's many Christian groups out there that are going to say they weren't eternally saved. Now, they may get twisted on how they got saved, but they're going to say they were saved. But they all had faith. Hebrews 11 is an enormous monument to the fact these people had faith. That means they had a fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That means they were born again. Very simple to figure that out. However, the Old Testament saints did not encounter the same degree and the same clarity of revelation that a New Testament gospel-era saint is able to encounter. There were things that were not revealed to them. So in that, we recognize this principle is in play, that just because a man has faith, it doesn't mean that they have all heard the explicit New Testament gospel and believed that and understood it. It just does not mean that. And the Bible's an enormous testimony to that fact. So we have often said that men may be saved apart from hearing the explicit New Testament gospel. And we substantiate that on a lot of different fronts. But one is just the simple observation that none of the Old Testament saints heard that. And so we already see evidence that that's the case. And by the way, what you know has got nothing to do with what God has done. Amen. <laughs> I mean, you may not know anything about anything. All of us were infants at one point. We didn't know that God created the world or that Jesus Christ came into the world. Does that have any bearing on what the Lord of heaven and earth has done? It has no bearing on it. So, important to recognize that. This third aspect of faith, or the third way that faith is talked about in the Bible, is I think Elder Phelan call it faith in action. I call it active faith, right? So you've got some faith, do something with it, right? It's really talking about living and acting in a way that is consistent with what you claim to believe. You see, we're not Christians just to have a faith and embrace some academic principles and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It's important that we do that. But there's a purpose in learning those principles and in learning the things of God. And it's that it change and have an, an influence on how you behave in this life. And that's active faith. That's when you're putting your faith in motion. That's when you're living in a way that demonstrates that you truly believe the things that you claim to affirm from your instruction in the Word of God. So this is what faith is. This is really the, the point of this sermon is to try to answer the question, what is faith? Now, I've made the statement back here in Luke. I made the statement that all of that is contained in those two verses. And reading it, they may not immediately jump out at you. But it's all in there. Verse 34 and most of verse 35 is what constitutes academic faith. Here is Jesus teaching a principle. He's lining it out. He has often spoken of God's people as salt and light in the world. And we know salt changes and improves the flavor of things and has a preserving character to it. And we're supposed to be of that sort. We're supposed to change, as it were, many things about the world around us, improving it for the better by the way we live. And he's making this parallel. Salt is good, but if salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? So 
I bet every single one of you have got salt shakers on the table at your house. It's just what we do. Everybody's got salt. It's been said that when they first started kind of coming across the idea that salt really <laughs> improves the flavor of food, that there were times when kings would trade gold in great quantities just to have more salt. Because it was that important to them. I mean, they would pay a lot of money for it. If you were a king that lived in a place where it was hard to get salt, you'd pay a premium for it. Because it improves the world around you. And so we are to improve the world around us by living as we ought. And this is in view when we talk about the saltiness of God's people. But think about this. You've got salt on your table. But if I came in there, salt is just little rocks, right? It's little rock crystals in there. If I snuck in there one night and poured all that out and put some white sand in there and you sprinkled it on whatever you were going to salt, you would say, this salt has lost its savor. This doesn't taste like salt. It just tastes like some gritty, tasteless thing that I just put on my food. What are we going to do with this salt here? Well, you would throw it out. You'd say, this salt is totally worthless. It's lost that which was its purpose for being on the table in the first place. So we have no need for it. Jesus is teaching this principle to His disciples, and in so doing, He is presenting academic faith. Here is a truth. I'm setting it before you. So there's, we've checked that one off, right? There's a little verse and a half of academic faith right there. Well, what about the rest of this verse? The last sentence in this verse contains the other two. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus is not talking about the natural capacity of hearing. That is not what He's speaking about at all. He has imparted a spiritual truth. He's trying to get people to realize you need to live in a certain way. He's not talking about salt. Salt is the metaphor, you understand. The spiritual message is about how you live and how you act and how you are before others. He says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The ears to hear is vital faith. The faith that you're given in regeneration are your ears to hear. God regenerates men. They have the fruit of the Spirit, and that fruit of the Spirit of faith is like your spiritual ears. And that's what Jesus Christ is talking about here. Spiritual ears are the ears to hear. That is faith. Without faith, you cannot hear any of these things. You know, the gospel is said, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. You've got to have faith, those ears to hear, to be able to receive a gospel message, right? So that's the case for making the ears to hear is faith. It is the capacity of faith, vital faith, as we've said before. But then it says, let him hear. So there's two things involved here. There's having the ears to hear. You're someone who has faith. Don't just hear it, and that's all there is to it. Let him hear implies do something, live in accordance with this lesson that you have learned. That is active faith or faith in action. That's where you take the academic thing. You take it in through the ears to hear, and then you go out and live in accordance with it. Academic faith vital faith and active faith or faith in action. Now we've already said before that 
not all of God's regenerate, chosen, elect people encounter the same measure of revelation over the course of their lives, Old Testament being a great example of that. So we know that this academic faith can kind of wax and wane in people's lives, right? I would say this, the Old Testament saints have a little bit of an excuse and they can say, well, you know what? We weren't given as much as you all were. You New Testament saints, you had a lot more information than we did. We were dwelling in a darker place compared to New Testament saints. So they've got a little bit of an argument there about how much academic faith they had. And maybe this bred some instability in them because they didn't understand as much. That's possible. However, in our time, I think we've got a lot of access to academic faith. You know, most Christians who have lived over the course of history never even had a Bible we got Bibles all over the place. Most people I know have got multiple Bibles in their house. A lot of them are just collecting dust. There are saints of God in this world who gave their lives so that you would have the Bible that is sitting before you. And it is an atrocity that we don't read it any more than we do. That's the truth. If you are a Christian and you're a disciple of Christ, you should have read the Bible even if it took you 10 years to do it. Some people don't read very fast. Some people don't like to read. Nevertheless, I think it's important enough, and it's part of the Christian heritage enough, if nothing else, that you should be able to say, I've read the Word of God. So we have access to all sorts of truths that those Old Testament saints would love to have known. I mean, there were a lot of mysteries in the Old Testament era, and I'm sure a lot of those saints would have said, man, I'd love to read the New Testament. I mean, that... New Testament explains all kinds of stuff that we were just dealing with types and shadows in. And it's kind of a shame and a reproach on us if we don't avail ourselves of the opportunities we have to receive the academic faith, the faith that has been once delivered to the saints in its fullness in the 66 books of the Bible. Shame on us if we don't avail ourselves of that. And in that sense, we don't have as much of an excuse, if you will, as maybe some of those Old Testament saints did. And even more so in our era, when we have printed Bibles, you can go down to Walmart and get a printed Bible. It's not like this is some huge impediment to us. The impediment is more the enemy within. It's not that we don't have access to a Bible. It's that we find innumerable idols to set between us and the Word of God. And that prevents us from acquiring as much of the academic faith as we might otherwise acquire. So we've talked about how academic faith can wax and wane. There are people who have more access to it than others over the course of human history. Everyone has vital faith. Everyone is given the vital capacity of faith in regeneration. So that's all the same for all of God's people. They all have been given the ears to hear. However, what about this faith in action? Well, that is not the same for all of God's people either. And that's because you are exhorted to put your faith in action. You're exhorted to obey God and to follow Him as a disciple. And there's a great variance among God's people with respect to the degree that they enter into that exercise of discipleship. I often try to point out, just in an Old Testament example, you've got a spectrum that runs all the way from Daniel, who there's hardly anything bad said about, all the way to Lot. You like, I don't even see how that person was a child of God. He was so terrible, it seems like. The Bible says both of them were regenerate children of God, but there was a great variance in the degree to which they stepped up to their responsibility to following the Lord's testimony. You see that? And people fall all along that continuum. 
you'll find people more in the middle who did lots of good stuff and lots of bad stuff and they all these things go on so while that middle vital faith is guaranteed for all the academic faith may vary across people based on what they have exposure to and the degree to which any of us step up to and involve ourselves in active faith by obeying the Lord is greatly varied among God's people. And that's part of our responsibility. Now, people get into discussions about, well, you know, salvation involves God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God does his part, yet man is still responsible. That is not true where eternal salvation is concerned. Because if it was, salvation would not be by grace. Eternal salvation is by grace. That means God did it absolutely all of it, and that's all there is to it. However, salvation from this untoward generation involves you exercising your will in obedience to God. That's active faith, right? That's living in accordance with what you claim to believe. And it's implicit in this that you may not do that. And I think any sober Christian who's looking over the course of their Christian discipleship would say, I see examples in my own life where I was more obedient in this season. I struggled more in this season, was having trouble with sin in this season. Maybe I was more obedient in another season. They're going to find through just a sober view of your own life, you're going to find examples of where this is waxing and waning in your own practice, right? We all deal with remaining sin and it's just part of it. Nevertheless, we are exhorted to active faith. So back in the Luke chapter, you've got a teaching which is academic faith. You've got he that hath ears to hear. That is vital faith. Let him hear is active faith. So there's something taught. And then it's as if Jesus is saying, those of you who have vital faith, it's time to bring forth some active faith. Follow me? Live in accordance with this truth. Use your faith to produce the appropriate outcome in all of this. Now, continuing on with the idea of what is faith, I want to talk about this a little bit more. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, which I've made reference to, there's a good definition of this up front. So when you think about, you know, people might ask you, what is faith? What is this kind of vital faith that you have? It defines it here at the beginning of chapter 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a substance. It is not a material substance. It is a spiritual substance. It's a real thing that you have, right? It's not some, some bizarre notion that you came up with. I've often said, you know, sometimes I eat pizza and then I have weird dreams at night. I get some weird notion in my head because I ate a pizza before I went to bed. It's not of that sort. This is an actual spiritual substantial thing that's in your life, and it is a reality, and it's the evidence of things not seen. So it's really important to recognize that faith is an evidence. Now, the matter of faith as an evidence brings with it an, an important observation. So it says it's evidence of things not seen. What are some of the things not seen? You ever thought about that? I think a lot of people, when they think faith is the evidence of things not seen, they think of, well, heaven is up there, and I have faith that heaven is there, and my loved ones are there, and, and so that's a thing that's not seen. 
And faith is the evidence of that. Well, I suppose that's true. That may be true. I mean, I believe that uh, those departed in the Lord are with the Lord now, and heaven is real, and, and we see that through the eye of faith. I, I affirm all those things. It's an evidence of something in the individual who possesses it. It's not just an evidence to things that are external to that individual. It's also evidence of something within that individual. And there's an audit trail of things here. And we'll kind of work our way backwards. The first thing is, faith is a fruit of the Spirit, right? That means that faith is the evidence of the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, right? We don't see that, but it's the evidence of it. Well, okay, so how did you get the indwelling Holy Spirit? Well, you were born again. That means that faith is an evidence of regeneration. See that? When you see someone who has faith, you're seeing someone who at some time in the past was born again. We do not see the new birth. I know there's many in Christendom who will tell you that there's things you do and that is the new birth, whether it's baptism or coming forward or repenting or whatever. Those are not the new birth. Those are the evidences of a new birth. But if you have faith, you have the Spirit, that means you've been born again. So it's an evidence of regeneration. Well, why were you born again? Well, I was born again because I did something. No, the Bible says, because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, it's because you are sons. It's not because you did anything. It's because you were chosen in election before the foundation of the world. And because you are a son adopted in election, God sends forth His Spirit into your hearts. That's regeneration. That means that faith is an evidence of election in someone. And that's a thing not seen. Who of us can say, I was around or see that election? It was before the foundation of the world. So, when we think about faith as the evidence of things not seen, I want to suggest that it's far more than just heaven is real and, and uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Those things are true, and we see them by faith. But it's the evidence in the individual who possesses it that they have the indwelling Holy Spirit, that they have been born again, that they are a son of God because they were elect before the foundation of the world, and none of those things were anything anybody ever saw. To those who say, well, I saw when this person was regenerated. You didn't. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. We don't know when regeneration smacks into somebody. That's in God's timing. But you may begin to see evidences of it. The evidences of a vital sign tell you something that already exists. You see what I'm saying? I mean, every experience you ever had in life was an experience you had when you were alive, right? No one would ever say, well, the moment I realized that this person that was looking at me and smiling at me and putting his finger in my face, the moment I realized that was my daddy, I became his son. Well, you may have come to understand that that's my dad, and I realize now that I'm a son. But you were a son long before any of that happened because it was an experience in your natural life. The same thing is true with spiritual life. The spiritual experiences you have are too late to the party to ever account for your birth. 
in the same way that all your natural experiences are too late to the party to ever account for your natural birth. Their experiences in life and your spiritual experiences are experiences in spiritual life. And they always come after the birth. So those are important things to recognize. Hebrews chapter 11, it's the uh, verse 1, Now the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Now what they did there was they took their vital faith and whatever instruction they had in academic faith, they used it and put it into action, and that's how they obtained a good report. They lived in ways, they did things that were in accordance with their faith. That was active faith, faith in action. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Faith embraces the miraculous creation of this world by an almighty God. Pure naturalism does not embrace that. They think that is utterly ridiculous. But if you explore the matter out, you find that they are in precisely the same conundrum. They just don't have a God to account for how all this stuff came to pass. It's by faith that we're able to see that. But skip down to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Here I think we see something of the kernel of faith that God's people possess. When you have faith, there is a sense that you say, God exists. Now, you may not have encountered much in the way of academic faith about God. You may not have ever read a Bible or anything like that. But if you're one of God's children and you have faith, you've got some sense that there is a God. God exists. And there's another notion here that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. There's some innate sense that if there is a God, and I believe there is, I ought to be seeking Him or serving Him. There's some sense of that in the child of God as a result of them having faith. Now, with respect to this active faith, again, I've made the point that we don't all perform equally with respect to putting our faith in action and living as we ought. And to look at that, I want to look at James chapter 2, and we'll probably close on this. James talks about this, and I really, I've spoken on this text a few times before. I think this is one of the most misunderstood texts in Christianity today because it is almost always applied to people who have no faith. Chapter 2 and verse 14, What doth it profit my brethren... Though a man say he have faith and have not works, can faith save him? Now, those who misuse this text almost always apply it to the idea that this is talking about a man who has no faith. A man who has no faith. Now, that man is unregenerate. That man does not fall into the category that is being addressed here, which is described as brethren. Okay? This is to us. The application of this text falls into the domain of active faith, right? Dead faith is the opposite of active faith or faith in action. You see what I'm saying? 
He says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? He's talking about the profitability of your active faith in the kingdom of God, helping other people out, right? If you don't help them in ways that would be needful, it's not profitable, right? So you've got to put this faith in action to make it be profitable here. So we're talking about the profitability of faith among the brethren. Verse 17, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Faith. These people have faith. Faith, if it hath not works. It's not, if you have no faith and you have no works, then faith is dead being alone. No, you've got faith. Faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. It's inactive or dead. It's inert. It's not producing anything. It's unprofitable. And one of the purposes of you having faith is so that you would live in accordance with it and be profitable in the kingdom of God. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. The key word there is show. We're talking about how is anyone going to really know that you have faith? I mean, you can say anything. You can tell somebody, I have great faith. But when instances like this come up, there's no show of that. It's not active. It doesn't do anything. You neglect it. How would anyone, how would a third party observer really be able to affirm that you have faith when they see that your actions are inconsistent with your profession? This is talking about the showing of your faith and the profitability of your faith. It's not suggesting that there's something you need to do if you have dead faith that you really have no faith and there's something you need to do to acquire it. It's talking to brethren who have faith, and it is pointing out that it is entirely possible that you might not be utilizing your faith as active faith as you ought. That's what it's talking about. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So there is a faith. These people have faith, but it doesn't have works accompanied with it that is inactive faith. That is not what we are exhorted to. We're exhorted to an active faith. I'm running up on time, so I'm going to leave the rabbit trail of demons believe alone here and keep going. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? He was talking about what? The prophet and the showing of faith. And that's the context of this justification. It is how others view your life. How do you show your faith to them and justify your profession of faith before them, not before God, based on how you live? Are you a hypocrite is really the question. Do you profess and not do, right? That's the justification that's in view. And people do look at your works and assess the sincerity of your profession of faith based on what you do, right? So it's not talking about justification before the throne of divine justice. It's talking about before men as it is shown to men. 
And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. He goes on and talks about Rahab. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. She didn't justify herself before the throne of divine justice because she just let those spies in. I mean, if you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep all of it. And we know Rahab didn't keep all the law. So, I mean, that's not going to work. It's talking about justification in the eyes of men who are saying, here's someone who did something that was consistent with a proper confession of faith towards God. See what I'm saying? That's the justification that's in view. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So James's address here to brethren is really pointing out the negative side of active faith. He's kind of like considering the question, what if you have inactive faith? He calls it dead faith. It's just sitting there. You're not doing anything. There's no evidence being produced. There's no profitability from it. There's no showing. People look at your life and they can't see any indication that your profession of faith is sincere. That's what he's talking about. It's very important that we recognize this because it relates to us. And I think any Christian who's walked with the Lord for any significant period of time is going to tell you, I've had seasons in my life where my faith was a little more dead. It was more inactive. It was not doing as it ought. And this is an encouragement to us. So that's probably where I'll end today. The Bible speaks about faith in three ways. Vital faith, that's something all of God's sheep have. It's given to you as a free gift in regeneration. It's your ears to hear. It's your eyes to see. And when Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's really saying, unless I give a man faith, he can't believe anything that has to do with the kingdom. He just thinks it's all foolishness. There's academic faith. We're, to use, uh, we're supposed to use that as disciples. It's the truth of the Word of God, and uh, we should press into it. And it's how we inform our lives and build ourselves up in the faith once delivered to the saints. But we are exhorted to an active faith, to live in accordance with what we believe, and to avoid the ill effects of having a dead faith, where your faith is just sitting there like a bump on a log. I wrote a brief article on the blog about a bee on his back. I found a bee sitting on top of my daughter's car when we were washing her car the other day. It was just upside down. It was laying on its back, and I thought it was dead. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a bummer. It was a bumblebee, you know. And uh, I thought that was kind of a bummer. And um, we're getting ready to spray her car down. And before I turned the hose on him, I, I just kind of poked him with my finger. That thing just flipped over on its legs and just flew off. It was alive. It looked dead, though. I thought I had a dead bee on my hands, but I didn't. And that's exactly how your faith can be. Your faith can be there just inactive, laying on its back, not doing nothing. Anybody that's looking at it externally, the showing of it would be, that thing is dead. Sometimes a bee needs to be poked, though, doesn't it? So today, if you're lying on your back, consider yourself poked. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.